chapter 20, uh, the empty tomb. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter, the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped round Jesus' head. The cloth was still in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking it was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive someone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails are and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, thank you for your words. Thank you for this account of the resurrection and the empty tomb, this, this account that reminds us that nothing would ever be the same again. Thank you for the transformation that it represents, not just in the lives of those who were there that day, not just in the lives of those who were told uh, about it in the hours and the days following, but for every human being born into this world. Father, would you speak to us now through your word? Would you minister to us by the presence of your Holy Spirit? And would you give me the grace, Lord, to bring a message of hope and comfort and encouragement to your people here today? In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, we have had, I think, uh, what was it, four uh, really nice days um, that uh, some people cynically sort of say was probably our summer. Um, I'm hopeful that August is going to be a, a scorching heat wave as well. Let's not, uh, let's not give up hope. But it's so funny, isn't it, uh, how we uh, in Northern Ireland react uh, to these things. I love uh, our local humor, uh, the, the sort of um, the dry wit uh, of our humor, that sort of dourness uh, to our local humor here. You know how it goes. Uh, a friend uh, says to the other one, after the four days of heat uh, are over and the weather changes a little bit, ah, should the rain's back. And then the friend turns around and says, with such wisdom, after a short uh, gap for a moment or two, ah, but sure, it's good for the gardens, isn't it? And I think that sort of humor, that dry uh, humor uh, that we have here is, uh, is in some ways one of our coping uh, mechanisms. It's something as a people that we have developed uh, over uh, many years, and it's, um, it's something that allows us to always ensure that our glass is half full rather than half empty. Now, the lovely thing about this combination of really nice weather and then the heavy rain that we've also had interspersed with that is that our gardens at the moment are looking spectacular. Now, I know we have some very talented gardeners uh, in the room with us uh, at the moment and, uh, and watching online, uh, no doubt as well. And I know uh, for a fact that there are people in this room who love nothing more than spending time planting, cultivating, growing, tending, seeding, weeding, and I know all of that because I happen to live with one. <laughs> she will tell you, uh, and I will tell you, that my two jobs are to cut the grass and to cut the hedges, and apparently you can't get too much wrong there, though I've tried. Uh, 
I don't know uh, about you, whether you are particularly talented uh, at gardening or whether you have a particular interest uh, in gardening, but even if you don't, and even if you don't happen to have much outdoor space uh, at, the, uh, at your home where you live, I think all of us can probably understand and picture what a really beautiful garden looks like. We've probably visited some uh, over the years. We see a beauty of creation there, don't we? It's magnificent, particularly at this time of the year. But I think actually just that, that spectacle, that visual spectacle of creation is only part of the beauty and part of that overwhelming sense that we can get when we visit a really beautiful garden. Because gardens aren't only beautiful things to look at, they're also places of shelter. They're places of quiet retreat. They're places we might go to to meditate. They're places where we can meet with friends. They're places where food is very often shared and hospitality offered. And in the Bible, we see gardens are used for all of these purposes and indeed many, many more. Because gardens are really important spaces in the Bible because they're really important spaces for God. When God first created the earth, the first human beings, Adam and Eve, were put into the Garden of Eden to tend it. But because Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they were banished from that beautiful space. And that symbolized their separation from God and the separation that all of their descendants, including us, would have from God from then on. But God in his love was not content to leave things like that. And his great rescue plan involved sending Jesus into the world to minister to this broken world, to minister to broken people, and to die on the cross where he would pay the cost, that cost being death for all of our sins. And symbolically, it was in another garden the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus went to contemplate that massive task that lay ahead of him, that agony of preparing himself for taking on the sins of the world and for going through the physical torture of the crucifixion. But even then, the story did not end at that point because Jesus Christ needed to rise from the dead to show once and for all that sin and its fatal consequences had truly been defeated. And where do we learn that he has indeed risen from the dead? We learn in another garden, the one we read about in today's passage. There's so much we could say about uh, John chapter 20. And as I was sitting in my own garden this week, thinking, meditating, wondering what to say about this passage, wondering what the message of this passage might be to God's people in Bangor here today, I find myself coming back time and time again to that brief exchange between Mary and the person that she eventually realized was the risen Jesus. And I think for all of us, 
maybe especially at this time, I think there's something very important in that moment of confusion and questioning that turns to realization and eventually to joy that is applicable to all of our lives. So what I'd love you to do for just a moment is to just imagine yourself in Mary's shoes that Easter dawn. She's just come through witnessing the cruel, violent, public crucifixion of Jesus only a couple of days ago. In fact, she was one of the only ones to stay with him right to the very end. And she is absolutely distraught by what she has seen and by the fact that he is dead. She's almost certainly wondering, how on earth am I going to get through this devastation, this emptiness that I feel in my soul right now? Why have my prayers and my faith come to nothing? And now the body has been taken from the tomb. What on earth is going on here? And where is God in the midst of all of this chaos? Are these not questions that all of us have asked from time to time in our lives? When everything looks bleak, when we cannot see a solution to what to us looks only like mess, when the only thing we happen to know with any certainty is that we are confused. Mary is an absolute trauma here, and she's wondering how the promised Messiah has somehow ended up dead. And yet here's the crucial thing. Her love for Jesus, her faith in Jesus, it does not disappear amongst all of these questions and pain that she is going through at that time. In fact, Mary goes to the burial garden that morning not simply to pay her respects or to mourn at a tomb, but she goes there to worship. They have taken my Lord away, and I do not know where they have put him, she says. She is in deep confusion, overwhelmed by grief, and yet she still describes Jesus as her Lord. Now, when our prayers are not answered, or are not answered as we would wish, when we are mired in confusion and despair, when we have a thousand questions swirling around in our head, how has this happened? Why has this happened? How can God have allowed this to happen? How will I ever get over this thing that has happened? It is easy to fall into despair and hopelessness. And it's sometimes tempting to launch immediately into attempts at trying to find solutions ourselves. But look at the example of Mary. Yes, she was in despair, but she doesn't try to rationalize things. 
She doesn't try to explain it all away herself. None of that. She seeks the Lord. And she brings only her questions, her confusion, and her grief as she does so. In those times when we feel confused or overwhelmed, or when we grieve for someone or something that we have lost, our response should also be to seek Jesus. That does not mean that all of our questions or pain will just evaporate like that, especially if, as Mary initially does here, all we do is to constantly question things. Sometimes when we seek the Lord in the midst of these situations, we encounter His presence most powerfully when we stop talking and when we simply listen and when we pay attention to what we see and what we hear. And at that point, as with Mary, we very often discover that Jesus has been with us all the way through our confusion and our pain. In the midst of turmoil, Jesus promises that when we seek, we find. But what then do we find? Well, I think we find two things. Firstly, we find a God who loves us as individuals. Jesus said to Mary, Mary, calling her by her first name. And at that point, she runs towards him and cries out in joy. At that point, she experiences the reality of the resurrection in her life. At that point, she knows transformation. To know that the risen Lord loves us as individuals does not make life's confusions or questions disappear in fact, arguably, Mary had probably more questions than ever at this point. But it does give the assurance that God is in control of all situations and that his love for us carries us through every single one of them. Secondly, when we find God, we usually find, as Mary did, and when we seek God, as Mary did, we quite often find, actually, that he has been seeking us for an awfully lot longer. And it's very often only in hindsight that we look back, as Mary did, and we can see or understand that God was indeed with us the whole way through something difficult. And he's with us so that he can minister directly into our pain. That is why Jesus' first words recorded after his resurrection are so important. Woman, he asks Mary, why are you crying? I find that absolutely astonishing. Every time I read that, I just feel something inside me that's, uh, that's remarkable, that's incredible uh, to read these, uh, these lines. I mean, Jesus could have gone to the rulers of the day uh, after his resurrection, first and foremost, in order to prove that he was who he said uh, he was. But he didn't do that. 
his first ministry after his resurrection as the risen Lord was to turn a faithful follower's pain into joy. That is the love of the Lord. The empty tomb of Easter morning means so many things. The fulfillment of prophecy, the defeat of sin, the defeat of evil, the defeat of injustice, the defeat of death, the promise of eternal life. And yet, it also means the personal, loving presence of Christ with every single one of us who turn to him and every trial, suffering, or confusion that we will go through in this life. It means that Jesus' promise is true, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The problem, let's be honest, is that just like Mary, we don't always see God's presence in life's difficult moments. Because until the presence of the risen Jesus dawned on her, Mary was still stuck in Easter Saturday. She was stuck in that day of questions and confusion, that day we don't talk about very much, we don't spend very much time thinking about, yet it's a really important day, Easter Saturday. It's a day when God seemed to be absent, and yet in fact, he was working out the greatest breakthrough in human history. Do you ever have that feeling? Do you ever have that feeling that you're stuck in an Easter Saturday period in your life? That you're stuck in a season of questioning, of feeling overwhelmed, of not understanding how something has turned out? If you have been, if you are, when you are, because we all are from time to time, please be encouraged and please remember Mary's encounter with the risen Jesus. And please be encouraged that God is at work when nothing seems to be happening. And please take hope from the fact that Mary's questioning is allowed to happen. Jesus has just been raised from the dead. And if God can do that, he can absolutely ensure that Mary is not questioning, that she's not in this period, stuck in this period uh, where she is experiencing this pain and feeling overwhelmed. But Mary's time of questioning and pain is allowed to happen, as sometimes it is in our lives as well. Because strangely, it can be that we, as we journey through moments of questioning and confusion, that we also discover in a very personal way the powerful presence of a God who is not only alive, but who loves us and who journeys with us. And sometimes we have to go through pain and confusion in order to come out the other side and to truly know what it is to live a life of joy, as Mary did when she had the great privilege of being the first to announce the good news of Jesus' resurrection. Now, the timing of these things is not in our control. But the resurrection of Christ that first Easter morning means that we can live 
And we must live in the certain faith that every single one of our Easter Saturday moments will turn into the optimism and hope and joy of Easter Sunday. It means that whenever we go through pain or waiting or questioning or worrying, we do so in the sure and certain hope that none of these things ever gets the last word. Joy gets the last word in God's story. And amazingly, that joy will be made complete in another garden. And this time, it's a garden that you and I will visit. Because even though we pass through the valleys of pain and confusion and turmoil and even death itself in this life, because of that Easter morning and because of the resurrection, our destination is not the grave. Our destination is the new Eden, the new garden, a glimpse of which we get in the divine vision as recorded again by John, this time in the book of Revelation, chapter 22. If you're going through an Easter Saturday moment, if you're going through a moment of doubt and confusion or worry or, or, or uncertainty about something in your life, but you trust God and you trust that he's leading you to a good place, then I want you to hear this morning exactly the place that he is leading you to. And I want you to keep this picture in your mind the next time you go through any confusion or doubt or grief. And if you're going through it now, maybe you'd even just close your eyes and picture that place where the Lord is leading you. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. If you don't understand this morning why something is happening or has happened in your life or you need a breakthrough of hope then I want to invite you to remember and to take to heart that even in those moments Jesus is with you and one day he will return and he will return to take all of us who believe in him to the new Eden and on that day, brothers and sisters, we too, like Mary, will joyously declare, 
I have seen the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this amazing outpouring of your plans and purposes uh, for our life that happened in so many of those significant garden moments recorded in your word. We thank you for the agony that Jesus went through at Gethsemane as he contemplated his fate on the cross. We thank you for that moment with Mary when she discovered that the tomb was empty and that the risen Savior was indeed alive. And we thank you for what it means for all of us in our lives as we put our trust in you. Father, this day we want to claim that vision of this new garden, this new Eden, this beautiful place that you are leading us to. And Father, just as on that Easter morning, the greatest breakthrough and the greatest transformation took, through, took place not with loads of noise and fanfare, but took place in the silence of that Easter morning. Lord, in the silence now, we want to use this time, knowing that you are with us, to hand over to you those questions, those doubts, those griefs that we carry in our own lives. Knowing that you are here, you are alive, and you're in the business of turning pain into joy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the privilege of being able to meet with you, of handing over our burdens to you, and thank you for the trust that we can have in you, that in the end, all will be well, and that we will meet you face to face and when Eden is restored in that beautiful garden. In Jesus' name, amen.